Today, we're talking to Chris and Matei from Datto about how to navigate a cybersecurity conversation with the C-suite and more. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. Where are you guys calling in from? Amsterdam. Cool. It's a little late over there, right? It is uh, nine in the evening. Okay. It's not too bad. All right. And then, uh, Chris, where are you at? I'm in San Jose. So it's almost lunchtime for you then? Yeah, it is. It is actually lunchtime. All right. Well, we'll, we'll do this awesome conversation. Then we'll get you off to bed and you do some lunch. <laughs> Does that sound <laughs> <That's> good? good. <laughs> All right. And so I was just hoping to, like at the beginning here, just get a quick understanding of like what we want out of the, the conversation today. What it ultimately comes down to is I think the acceptance of cybersecurity is just part of business operations. And one of the things I was thinking about earlier today is, is kind of the role the CISO has in talking to the C-suite. Um, but this could apply to anybody talking to executive management about cybersecurity. And there's a few things that, that stand out, but a lot of it is really reducing the conversation to terms that make sense. You know, having it presented more as a risk discussion and business interruptions or operations. Those are the things to me that you, you, we as an industry need to do a better job of demystifying, you know, all that goes into cybersecurity. So let's say I, I don't get to spend a lot of time in cybersecurity. I just get to touch on it here and there for some interviews. And one of I've heard that before, right? Like this move to conversation of risk. Is there still companies out there that are like, we're going to hire a CISO so that we don't get a breach. And if we do get a breach, we're firing the CISO. Well, <laughs> it is <laughs> definitely part of the, the, the job, right, is, is to prevent that. Um, but nothing's 100%. So it, it is a challenge. I think of it as more of kind of three functions. There's the the day-to-day CISO role, or anybody in cybersecurity for that matter, which is just dealing with the daily how do I stop what's attacking me, right? How do I deal with a DDoS attack? How do I deal with phishing? These types of things. Then there are what I call the kind of the KT events, right? These are the big breaches. And this is where you're talking about in terms of getting fired for, right? These are the big ones that really, and, and in some cases may sink your business, right? Uh, or at least set it back by months. Those are the things that we think about, like, what do you need to do to avoid those? But the other part that doesn't, I think, come into the conversation enough is how does security play a role in things like digital transformation? I'm updating my operations. I'm changing the way we do things. I want to be more efficient, more effective. Security is usually an afterthought, right? As we change apps and we're doing more things, how does security play a role in that? And I think that's the part that needs to be more uh, visible, certainly with the board, but also the C-suite is, is security needs to have a voice at the table in those kind of business decision discussions. Are you seeing that a lot right now or no? I think for companies who are proactive, yes. I still think though for the majority, and when I say majority, 80% of the market, security is an afterthought. Well, it's not just an afterthought. It's just, it's seen as a big, big cost, right? And, and, and the people trying to get security in place, they're generally going back to the, the C-suite board and asking for more money and they're like, well, we gave you a bunch of money last year. Like, why do you need more money, right? And, but that's that's the that's a difficulty, right? Like the people doing the work, uh, understanding security, um, 
they're generally not 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 in the board, right? And uh, they have a hard time explaining what what they need. And when you when you have and like any business, like the the attack surface is only increasing, right? And the the, the attackers only get better, and the solutions, well, they're generally getting more expensive, and you're never done, right? So these conversations, they're they're, they're pretty hard to navigate because like generally someone in c-suite board like they think money expenses so so how how do you how do you how do you have that conversation it's 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 a fascinating topic and it has meaningful consequences right if you if you get the budget or not uh, it's um yeah we think we think about about that quite a bit and it's it's a reality in any company not just like small medium businesses enterprises uh, it services providers everywhere not until you can like translate security to a uh, a business benefit, right? Like that's if 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 you can if you can frame it in a way that that it makes really sense to invest there. And part of that, and Chris mentioned, like it's about like dealing with risks, right? Like then that sort it, it starts to make sense. It's not necessarily return on investment, but it's talking about risks and the fact that you're never a hundred percent secure. That makes something like that an interesting conversation. Doesn't necessarily make it easy to get get money for a piece of technology that. Most people have no clue what it really, really does, right? Like advanced, I don't know, EDR or next generation security technologies. It's 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 very hard to explain that to someone, uh, and and they're like, well, we bought antivirus like a couple of years ago. Why do you need this, right? It's uh, it's it, it, yeah. Chris, can you tell me about like what company you're at and what's your primary objective? Sure. So it's it's Chris McKee. Uh, I'm VP of product marketing for security and networking solutions at Datto. So Datto being now acquired by Kaseya, I'm, I'm part of the whole whole Kaseya suite of products, including security and networking as well. But yeah, so Matei is absolutely right. And, and one of the things that I think gets lost, uh, just to reiterate a point he was making there, is security is dynamic and you're always buying new things. Uh, and part of that is because the bad guys, adversaries, are just as dynamic and just as innovative and just as determined to come up with new ways of, of getting your data. So we do see this constant battle and it seems like it does never end. And in some ways it it won't just because for many of the, you know, ransomware makes a lot of money. It is a business operations. So when you take that into consideration, the security has to be viewed as something that's going to constantly evolve just as you would evolve your business processes. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in there quickly, uh, also to introduce myself. Uh, so I'm Matei, I work at the same company, uh, Matei Smith, and um, uh, I am responsible for uh, the IT management products. So the, it's called RMM in our world, Remote Management and Monitoring. So I've, I've done this for a long time, but we, we manage millions and millions of endpoints. And the funny thing in our world is that uh, we talk to a lot of system administrators and people managing systems, but the worlds of IT management and security, they've blurred or are blurring, right? Like it's 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 one and the same nowadays. Whereas uh, it used to be a completely different department, but you you can't get to a proper like secure state if the the ops people are 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 not involved. It like starts with deploying things in a, in the in the right way, in the right configuration, and understanding what you have, and and making sure you can upgrade, update quickly, etc. Uh, if you don't do that, well, you can have the best security team in the world, but doesn't really doesn't really help. So, but it's that's so that's 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 my role. I I run a, a large uh, software team or a couple of couple of teams there. 
Uh, and we we talk to many many companies in the world about how to get like to a better secure state. A lot of our customers are also uh, IT services providers. So uh, many M- MSPs that manage the uh, uh, small medium businesses around the world. And we with with uh, the enormous amount of data that we gather with all these endpoints and all this, the solutions that we have, I think we, we have a pretty good understanding of the behaviors of the attackers nowadays as well. Uh, so, so yeah, that's, that, that's us. And, and like w- one of the, one of the things that we see a lot as well is, um, security is just not about a single tool. It's not about buying multiple tools. It's, it's about, uh, well, first of all, people always say like it's the technology process and people, but it's actually more of a, like a an integrated approach we we think because there's always something more right there's always something more you can buy but if you, if you end up as a company with a whole bunch of different islands and technologies that don't work together you're not really better off you you have you end up with all these different silos with with information with alerts that are are being ignored and just people not working together so our approach there is 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 i say different in the sense that our our mission is to give you one platform that, that does, it, does it all, right? Like uh, from endpoint management to security to compliance. It's all deeply integrated. There's no copy-pasting of, uh, of information or like searching something in one application and then, then in the other. It's like connected workflows. And that's how we think we can help the, the companies to become more secure, um, to just be more efficient, be, not just with operational processes, but also with, with spending, right? So cost. But like the big driver behind our business growth and that of many of our customers is the security conversation, uh, because that's what's keeping everybody up at, at night. So, like, what's the most difficult thing since you're the technology provider? Companies come to you. Obviously, you get a wide range of customers. You've got the people who really are gonna embed this in their culture, and this is gonna be like a big thing. You've got the people who kind of are or, or whatnot. How do you actually help them do that more than just giving them a software? Do you actually do consulting with them? How does that work? Well, in addition to the tools, we do provide a great degree of additional resources there. But I think what you're hitting at is is even more important. It's a concept that doesn't get enough attention, which is this idea of securing maturity, right? So every business to some degree is on a different curve or security maturity curve. And depending on where they are on that curve, uh, is an indication as to how far along they are in terms of their maturity. We still deal with a lot of companies, and, and Matei referenced this earlier, that are still at the very low levels of their security maturity. So things like antivirus, right? So believe it or not, in this day and age, there are still a lot of smaller businesses in particular who question the need. Why do I need this? You know, why would a hacker come after me? What would I have that a hacker would want? And even larger size organizations run into the same challenge. And the reality is those are the ideal targets for a hacker because in many situations, those smaller and mid-sized organizations are the low-hanging fruit. They don't have the, you know, the high degree of, of skill sets there. They don't have a security culture within their organization. Uh, and they're certainly not investing in the latest and greatest of tools to, to prevent these types of attacks. So uh, in many situations, we see these challenges with uh, small and mid-sized organizations where they're on that low end of that security maturity curve. You know, on, to contrast that, at the high end, you'll have organizations that will want to, you know, either have their own SOC security operations center or they'll outsource uh, a SOC to another third party. 
to do much more proactive things, threat hunting, incident response, forensics, things that uh, would indicate like they're they're already taking a, and, and you hear this term a lot, zero trust, uh, a zero trust mindset approach that, hey, I may have already been breached and I just don't know it. So I'm going to take the resources and the tools to proactively ensure my data is safe, my users are protected, uh, and my systems are going to maintain their continuity. God, I, I wanted to tie it back to, to to something we were talking about earlier, right? Sort of like, hey, how do how do we address this with our management, the C-suite, etc.? And Chris mentioned maturity, and, and one of the things that we've seen that like helps quite a bit is actually thinking and talking about frameworks, right? It just makes it more approachable or from a theoretical level. And it could be something simple like just talking about NIST, right? Pretty much everybody knows that, but sort of saying, hey, these are the the areas that you need to address as a business. You need to have something like to detect. You need to have something to respond. You need to have something to recover, right? And And this is where we are and this is what we have done and these are our gaps, right? We we have a pretty, uh, I don't know, pretty good backup and recovery, disaster recovery solution in place, but we don't have this. And then it suddenly uh, becomes, an, uh, I'd say, more interesting uh, uh, conversation, especially like I, I always like these conversations to, to show either uh, gaps or simple like boxes, right? Like there are cert- certain tricks that we even internally we use, right? Like where you have some kind of a scorecard with uh, green areas, like these are the things that we do well, and then some orange and some red. And every time you do something like that, the conversation will always be about the red box, right? Like, why don't we have that? So tying it back to like, hey, what is a good good strategy for for getting better at security? Well, if you if you know what you want, make sure you 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 highlight that in a, in in some kind of a, a, a report or, and it could be framework based, could be tool based, anything. And do you guys do this as part of the like sales process where you can do a scorecard and see where you sit? Yep. But all, yeah, we definitely do that. But we also have, especially in this for the service providers and some, some enterprises as well, we, we build, we have tools that help you tell the story, right? So we don't just look at your organization, but we enable the, the, the IT professionals to, to just have that conversation and perhaps not just once, but also... How do, you, how do you show progress, right? How, how can you now, like the next quarter in, show that you've improved? So we, ha- we have tools either to report on that or to show compliance. And like, of course, those things talk to the other products that we have. They talk to the EDR, the MDR, the IT management technologies. So you don't have to make up the data or like populate it manually. So that that's one way you could have that conversation with, with the board or with your C-suite is you could build that scorecard essentially and say, hey, here's the standard. Here's like the minimum stuff companies need to be doing. And here's where we're at and we need money to cross the chasm. Is that what um, they're doing? Well, that, it, it works the two ways. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ultimately, that's the, at the end, end result. But you can also highlight areas where you have something, but it's just very outdated, right? Um, but ultimately, it's, 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 it's about getting that, that mindset of, Almost like continuous service, continuous improvement, right? Like this is where we are. These are the gaps. Uh, we know we're not going to be like. There's no such thing as perfect security and 100% secure. But let's at least make sure that we're better in the next period when we talk again. And some kind of consistent 
way of reporting up and talking up is going to help you with that. Because that's, that's I think, the, the, the bottom line. Like, there's no single ask, right? Like, and, and that's that's sometimes where we see companies fail. Like, you, you, you come in and say, we, we need this. I don't know. We, 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 need, we need to upgrade to the, the highest tier of Microsoft 365. It's going to cost us a lot of money. It gives, it gives us advanced security tools. And then we're done. Well, not really. You're going you're, you're gonna to need something else. That's the point. You want to have this, this ongoing conversation about, about risks, either frameworks-based or like some kind of a reporting uh, that you do. I'd like to add to that. So without a doubt, having that framework discussion, it doesn't matter what framework you use. Uh, and in fact, um, you know, there's no single one framework that's better than the other. There's probably close to two dozen popular ones out there today. NIST, ISO, COVID, depending on what you're doing. CMMC, if you're in the government space. Uh, CIS is a great one if you're just starting out. But having those conversations with a framework as, as no pun intended here, the framework of security to say, how do we have these discussions? How do we do the gap analysis? Where do we stand on these different initiatives? That's hugely important and, and probably should be reviewed at least once a year. The other part I was going to add to this, though, is also the discussion around, uh, you know, from a financial standpoint, cyber insurance, right? So even in the last year, we have seen cyber insurance rates increase 50 to 100%, depending on, on where you are. This now takes security into that kind of CFO discussion. Now let's talk about security in terms of risk, risk reduction, and what are the things we need to do to ensure, A, our cyber insurance will cover it in case, uh, you know, an, an incident should occur. And then B, what do we need to do to, to make sure that, right, we're ahead of that curve? Um, so using your cyber insurance as a wedge, so to speak, as a way to have that CFO discussion, C-suite discussion, helps open up discussions about products like EDR. Do you have EDR in place? Are you doing security awareness training, right? Nowadays, we're seeing more and more carriers, the underwriters for insurance mandate, you must have certain things and we want to see proof of compliance. So just because you have the insurance there, uh, you still could get denied if you have a claim because you may not have been doing security awareness training, for example. So it's important to look at, you know, kind of a different lens, depending on who you're talking to and how you present security in that lens. Yes, yes. I And I remember seven or eight years ago, I was getting a business insurance policy and there was like a checkbox for cybersecurity, like $2 million checkbox. Now it's gone from being this tiny little checkbox to this massive application and proof, like all of these requirements for you to meet because they got, they got hosed. I did some interviews about three years ago with the, the people that the, the insurance companies call to negotiate with the, the bad actors. And that was their business. Their client was the insurance company. They would validate that the company actually got attacked and then they would negotiate the, the ransom, right? And so it was happening at such a large scale. They, the insurance companies now have really tightened up, right? That's a fascinating job as well. So they're, they're effectively talking to the bad guys all the time or, uh, yeah. or just, yeah, just negotiating on both ends. Uh, he says it's like a corporation. He goes, they have customer service. Yeah. That you can negotiate with them. Yeah. He's like, it's this whole, you, he's like, you'd be surprised at how well they operate. <laughs> well, I mean, a hundred percent. Like, and we, we, we see that, uh, a lot, right? Like, so even though we, uh, we, we, we protect a lot of people, the, uh, like we see a lot of ransomware, a lot, lot of ransomware attacks, either, uh, we, uh, uh, we save people from with our, I don't know, we have ransomware detection technology. So we know at the moment when it gets executed and then we can prevent it, but we also do, uh, 
we we have huge data centers with a lot of like disaster recovery going on, right? So we have people that virtualize in the clouds, and we we kind of save their baking bacon like that. But ransomware attacks, like of course we read it in the news all the time, but we see it in our data all the time as well. It's it's real, but it's such a profitable business. Uh, it's uh, uh, and you're you're absolutely right. They're so they're they're mature software companies in in many ways. They have great customer service like great release management, a great sales channel, because the people that build the technology are not the people that like run the attacks, right? Or mm-hmm. it's, uh, and, but that's, that's, I think one of the, the lessons for us is that's not going away, right? Ever since we, we invented crypto, we have found a way of paying people anonymously, anonymously, um, and uh, it, like it's, it's, it's become very, very profitable. And as long as it, it remains that, like they will always find a new way to get in. And that's the difficulty. Our attack service like to protect is immense. Um, it's it's all the different layers and they only need one way to get in, right? And that can even be someone from the inside. Like it can, like either mali- like malicious or by accident. It doesn't always have to be a, a zero day, right? Like the most attacks that we see are just stupid, right? It's either unpatched software where a patch was available for months and months. It's someone clicking on a link and it was not even a well-crafted tailored email. It was just something stupid, right? And then that's that's how most companies get, get breached right now. And yeah, that's definitely not slowing down. Actually, now with AI technologies and, and all the other things that we're seeing, it's it's only get it's gonna get more difficult. At, and, and there's the saying, right? At like Attacks uh, only get better; they never get worse. Well, that's definitely happening. Chris, how long until the point where we're talking to AI for all of our security needs? Like, I just unleash this AI inside my org; it has root access to everything, and it keeps everything secure for me. And I just talk to it and tell it who, yeah, can, who can get what. Yeah, that, that's to. a great question. Um, so let's talk about AI a little bit. We're in the early stages of the game, admittedly, right? And, and there's a few things that we're seeing already, both on the defensive and offensive side of this. So as an attacker, AI is great in that you can leverage it. Well, we'll use a couple examples. Phishing, right? I think we've all seen the poorly written, the, the misspelled bad grammar. Obviously, this is not, you know, Bank of America sending me a note. It is coming from somewhere else where English is probably their second language, uh, maybe third. Those days are going to disappear real quick because AI, and then the bad guys know this, they can now take existing emails from, and again, I'll use a bank example, run it through an AI engine and now spit out something that really looks legit. So those classic phishing emails that we've all got or received over time are going to be harder and harder to spot. And on top of that, they're going to use behavior analytics to see where you go, things you do, right? Track your kind of web footprints, if you will. And they will have even a better sense of what phishing emails are going to be effective in, in trapping you to click on a link. Because at the end of the day, and as Matei pointed out, and I, I, I call it human error, not any sign of intelligence. People make mistakes and a good, well-crafted phishing email you're going to click on something. I don't care how uh, you know solid you are, it, it happens. So AI definitely is going to benefit the bad guys in that sense. It's also going to benefit them in code development. So 
<clears throat> a lot of older legacy security products are signature based. So when a new variant comes out, if a new signature isn't created soon or, and updated, uh, it may bypass your existing tools. As a hacker, AI is great in that sense, because now I can take existing malware and I can do derivatives of that all day long. I can create new strains, new variants, <clears throat> and and sooner or later, something's going to bypass your tool set. So from, and Ed, as Mateo pointed out, it is a machine. It is an industry. They, they run it like any other business. So they will do innovations, product updates, malware updates, if you will, to bypass whatever tools you have. Count on that. On the flip side, people are thinking, oh, AI is going to you know, protect all of our systems. We're going to learn how to, to better defend. And we will. Those things are definitely in place today. And they've been for some time. And those will continue to improve. But where I worry is the introduction of AI in new code development. So I'm sure you're aware. A lot of people are talking about AI is going to revolutionize new software development. The problem is AI is only as good as the engine and the training it's had, right? And Matei, correct me if I'm wrong, but the issue here can be you may start developing code based on something you think is 100% solid and stable and, and secure, and it may not be, right? So you may inadvertently open up kind of a Pandora's box of new development, new code that may not be as sound as it could be or should be, which means you've got to spend more cycles in testing and making sure everything is protected. Um, so AI is going to cut both ways. I, 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 like I say, I think we're in the early stages of the game. This is probably what, maybe the first quarter, if I did a football analogy, uh, we've got a ways to go just to get to halftime. Are you seeing the chat interfaces start to emerge inside of security tools? They definitely are taking a greater role there. Yeah. So, and, and you'll see more of that. And, and, and I think that's, again, there are a lot of benefits that AI can bring to the table. I just, and maybe it's just me, I'm a little more concerned with it. I want to take a more pragmatic approach to say it's not yet a silver bullet. And it, like I say, and it well, it's, I, it's definitely not a hundred percent, Yeah, but it's only, it'll, it's only a hundred percent when it's already been, when it's done and operating. So yeah. I'm like, I see it coming on the horizon. I'm like, oh, there it is, you know? It's, just, it's going to make things interesting for the next, you know, 10 years. We do see like a couple of things. Uh, when, you, when you, I mean, I think Chris mentioned like EDR and like detection technologies, right? Like what, what you see there is there's just too much information for humans to process efficiently, right? That's, that's where AI, other like more advanced technologies, like they will help out, stay on top of, of the noise, right? So that's, that's one. And when you, when you asked about chat, um, chatbots, etc. You you you, see, you do see do see a bit more generative AI technologies at least on the response side of things. So either you get a message saying, "Hey, this and this happens." You uh, you have ransomware, uh, what and it like coming up with the next steps. Like either like what do you need to check? What do you need to do? That can be fed through uh, either a bot or like a, uh, some something that is going to help you decide the next steps, but also the communication after that, right? So if you're if you're dealing with users or or customers, like you, you need to craft messages, you need to tell them something about like, hey, you you need to do this. This is generally the kind of stuff that the that the security conscious technician is not good at or doesn't really want to do. And that's where AI can save a ton of time. So it's not even the we're not you don't even have to think about the advanced work. It's it's taking the mundane work or out of that that job. So they can spend more time thinking about the more advanced work, right? 
security analysis, et cetera. Are they building AIs that like you take all, you have all these clients, right? That you do this monitoring and stuff for. You could watch all the different clients and as throughout the year or whatnot, as they get attacked and attacks happen and they resolve and take all that data and train it on this AI that's like, hey, here's the historical knowledge of like 10,000 attacks and then talk to it. Like, is that something people are doing? Well, as a vendor, right, we, we have enormous data sets and we are using that to get better, right? We find these patterns either with AI or other analysis to to find attack patterns and, and make our software better all the time. So yeah, there's definitely definitely that. One of the other things that we are doing, and I wanted to get back to the, the chatbots a bit, it's not necessarily using very, very large data sets across customers, but it's, it's um, especially on the help desk side, right? We have very popular help desk applications, called, one called Autotask, very popular in, a, in the space with service providers. That sits on thousands and thousands of tickets that people worked on. A lot of the customer information, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the details about all the assets. We're working on implementing bots there that will actually help you like, respond to a ticket, but also say, hey, this ticket, it looks like it's about this. I don't know. It could be something simple. Like it's, it's about this user needs more access. Well, like the, 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 the AI can, anal- can get that from a, from a ticket pretty uh, easily, but then also recommend the next step. Like, hey, you probably want to execute this task in this other application, uh, and shall I do it for you? Like that's the... Like going back to what we're trying to do with this integrated platform, like we're bringing all these applications together, and uh, with our one of our new technologies that we've been working on, uh, the Cooper bots—that's what we call them—we're using AI, applying it in a way that just it saves a ton of time uh, in every single workflow, especially like on the support and the operation side. You don't need necessarily big, big data, uh, but it will get better over time for each customer as well. Uh, because their data set grows. Um, one, of, one of the key things that, that we're always very nervous about like, is just like what you put into these public models, right? Like that's not what, like that's not allowed for us. Uh, internally, that's not like, I think many, many companies should be very careful with using all these public models, right? But also like these, the, the models that learn from information across the different customers. Uh, I would be very worried our data gets used, like and and like applied to a lot of customer. If I mean, you can you can look at like system events and you can do it pretty like uh, if you can anonymize it and no 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 real cor- corporate data gets leaked. That's that's fine. But my God, like on that, there's a lot of sensitive information in a, either even a help desk or a security security uh, uh, like a, uh, a SOC. You just want to keep keep to yourself. What's the most interesting application of AI that you've seen in the cybersecurity space? Well, I'll jump in and, and I'm going to add actually to this point. So, for example, we, we have an email security tool called Graphis. And Graphis uses AI almost in the, in the way you've described it, where it, it's looking at a volume of, of data and making decisions based on that. And it, it works very well. So I think you're going to see AI used in more and more tools like Graphis, uh, especially email because it, well, one is the number one threat vector, but two, there's just so much volume of data that, that can be, you know, tapped into there. But I think the point that really needs to be stressed here is where you can see AI really make a difference, the space in between. So for example, 
one of the the key metrics in any sort of breach is from time of breach to time of detection, time to remediation, right? These are key points in time that anything you can do to compress that, uh, the better for you. It minimizes the damage, the blast zone. It minimizes, you know, ransomware affecting hundreds of systems versus two. So I think this is where you're going to really see AI take off immediately is the space between when a breach occurs and the reaction response time, the remediation process, the forensics, the, it, it, all of that AI can play a major role because it, as Matei pointed out, these are typically very human heavy, you know, intensive responsibilities where AI can immediately connect different disparate systems together, trigger the tickets, trigger the results, trigger the automation response. And then now it's just a person at, you know, at a console doing click, 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 there you go, versus spending what could be hours, could be days in some cases of trying to deduce what breach occurred, where did it occur, what systems were affected, you know, what's that damage. The longer that takes, the greater the risk and, and the exposure. So anything that shortens that, and AI definitely plays a role in this, that's going to be huge. What's the what's the coolest breach that you've ever seen? And you can abstract it to talk ambiguously about it if you want. The, I'm sorry to say the coolest breach I've ever seen. Yeah, like what's like when you saw it, you're like, wow, that's actually pretty cool. So um, there's a few. One that stands out, I think, is really interesting because it shows you how vulnerable any company can be. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll try to anonymize this. It was a company in uh, Europe and a fairly large size organization. And like many organizations, they had a video camera, uh, right? A video camera system. And they left it open on the internet. So anybody, if you're pinging their network, you would have sooner or later discovered this open webcam, basically, right? They started noticing odd things happening at different hours of the day. For their time, it would have been, you know, 10 a.m., I'll use China as an example, 10 a.m. China time. And and they're in a different time zone. So they're seeing unusual traffic hitting their their uh, their network at times that aren't local to their network traffic, right? So already there's an anomaly here. Long story short, what ended up happening is um, they were breached and the the breacher used this open webcam that no one ever bothered. And it's the classic right? No one ever changed the admin credentials from admin and password, right? So once they got their hooks into that webcam, then they were able to move laterally throughout the network, find other systems that they could exploit. And, and as Matei pointed out earlier, it's not a zero day that's going to bring you down. It's going to be something really simple, like you didn't run a vulnerability scan and you didn't patch, you know, a server somewhere. They'll find it. I trust me, they will find Whatever it is, if it's not patched, they'll take advantage of it, jump on that, open up another command and control, right? And, and it just propagates. And so once now they've got two command and controls running, then they're just going to keep looking around. They're going to drop in things like Mimikatz or other tools like that that are basically looking for uh, network traffic that has credentials, username, password. They're going to do recon on every system in your network. They're going to know who's on the network and what's on the network. At that point, now they're just looking for admin credentials, right? And this happened. This And so they were in there for many, many days. We're talking over a month uh, before they finally got to a point where they got to a machine that they wanted to compromise. They dropped in their dropper. 
ransomware hit. They were able to isolate it, luckily, and, and prevent it from spreading beyond that. But you can see how just one little thing like an open webcam on the internet and a few unpatched systems could wreak havoc uh, through any organization. And that that is kind of a classic. It happens all the time. Wow. That's how you got one? Not like that. Um, <laughs> that's a great story. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I see a lot of those, those attacks that happen through not updated software, right? So very common in, in my world that I've seen a ton of is a compromised exchange service or Citrix service or, or VPN. And, and that's always the way in, right? And I've seen quite a few of them. I'm always surprised about like the time people take then. Right. I, I can imagine like you're you're in, you're okay, let's 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 get in and get out, right? Like a bank robbery. But that never happens. It's it's uh, the gut almost it takes to stay in a network for, for weeks and yeah, I mean, they can do whatever they want. People are just not paying attention, right? You kinda know that after like you had all these exchange vulnerabilities like the proxy logo uh, vulnerabilities. If if you have a network that still it has that one after months of like a patch being available, you kind of know that you can do whatever you want in that network anyway, because they're they're not like security first. And so I, it's hard for me to find a like a, a favorite one. I, I always find it kind of yeah. I, f- I really feel for the customer for the company that that has that. Um, like it's so difficult to to do uh, security well right now, and it's it's so easy to be in it on the on the bad side at the moment. That's. Like you can you can use any publicly available web scanner like to to search for open ports or for specific versions. It's like people should almost like try it themselves and see how easy it is because the reality is that that teaches you like almost like push like tells you the hard facts about your job. Like you need to be on top of everything, and that's an enormous enormous task. And uh, yeah, I really feel for the people that are that have that job. It's immensely stressful, and. Like we started off with talking about the the, the stuff that gets the CISO fired, and the 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 reality is you can you can do everything right and still get fired for a terrible breach. Let let me say then like a good reason to get fired is if you just don't handle the the breach right well. You you like the communication the response. If you do it all well, you should definitely keep your job. But any any mid sized company will have like hundreds or thousands of assets. And you need to be on top of everything. What what does good communication around cybersecurity incidents look like within a company? Yeah, you have two sides of that. Of course, it depends on what happened internally and, and externally. If you have customers, and, and you, you, it's very common that you, uh, I mean, websites get breached all the time. And the, the, the key thing is be very, very, very clear and transparent. Like, the uh, and that that applies both internally and externally is communicate early communicate often our ceo always tells us like there's no nobody gets fired for over communicating and that's that's really the case here as well so even though you you know little communicate it right so we know you know you've been breached you don't know how how long etc communicate um what you see like in the space you see a lot of a lot of companies do is sort of take months and say, well, we, we, we've been breached a couple of months ago. Yeah, you, you'd never want to do business with that company again. Like that's, they don't have a good, good security posture there. Let me, let me add to that. Part of that also comes down to 
running tabletop exercises, right? Having an incident response plan in place, plans actually, plural. These things are critical. And, and I can't stress enough to go through those emulations, if you will. What if you get hit with ransomware? You know, because there are different variants of ransomware where you could say, well, maybe 10K, I'll pay it and hopefully get my data back. 100K, maybe I won't, right? But having done tabletop exercises in advance where you're bringing in the stakeholders, you know who to contact at 3 a.m., you know who your local FBI you know, contact is, you know who in legal is going to respond, you know who in maybe corp comms, PR is going to respond, right? These are all different disparate groups in many situations that oftentimes get pulled in at the last minute. And at that time, people make mistakes because they're, they're scared, they're nervous, they're rushed. Much of this can be avoided by doing tabletop exercises in advance so that you already know what that game plan is. You already know what the playbooks are. You already know what you're going to do because sooner or later, it's probably going to happen. Does the FBI care? Why would I call the FBI if I got Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. depending on the type of breach, business email compromise, we're seeing a huge growth in that area alone. And that's really fraud. Uh, At the end of the day, business email compromise is... I've tricked you into earning your trust to send me money. So it may not necessarily even be a breach per se, but I have figured out either social engineering, um, doing my research, doing uh, setting up relationships with you or others to basically trick you into sending me money. Uh, common examples, and, and they're simple ones, as simple as I send in, I find out who your employees are. I emulate one of them and say, hey, and I sent a note to HR, I've changed my bank account. Can you redirect my uh, you know, direct deposit payroll to, here's my new bank account? If there are no systems in place to check that and to verify, it's very easy for someone in HR just to go, oh, okay, you know, John Smith is now at you know, this bank. And, and the next payroll, John Smith is like, where's my check? And, and you know, the money's gone. Um, that's a real simple example. Obviously, this can get much more complex where it, it is, uh, you know, attorneys. Hey, you guys are behind on your payment. You need to do this. You need to wire it now if you want to retain our services, right? It can go a number of ways to CFOs, others involved. FBI absolutely takes interest in these things. They will do what they can to actually pursue and, and uh, you know, address it. So by all means, uh, you should know who your local FBI, they have cybersecurity's task force set up just for these things. Oh, interesting. All right. So just to just to touch a little bit back to the end of the conversation and to answer the question directly, how can leaders prepare and handle any feedback or pushback from stakeholders regarding cybersecurity policies and incidents? Well, I think they need to prepare it as if they're having a business discussion versus an IT or technology discussion, right? Frame security from a risk perspective. What does this mean to your organization? And, I, and earlier it was said, you know, security oftentimes is seen as, as a cost center. And, and I would argue it's just the opposite. It, it allows you to do things more efficiently and effectively if you're taking a security awareness approach to it. So, for example, a, a new area in the security world is uh, it's called SASE, Secure Access Service Edge. And it, it, it's a solution really geared for remote and hybrid workers. So you've got people on the road or they're working from home, wherever it may be. Typically, the way you would address that is as a VPN, right? So I would set up a VPN, 
but as is you've probably been on the road and use VPNs, the user experience may not be ideal, right? There's latency because you're back hauling all your traffic back to the corporate network. The other problem is VPNs. Well, there's a lot of issues with VPNs. They're, they're highly targeted by bad guys. Sassy, which is this new area. So we have a product called Secure Edge that addresses that use case where instead of using a VPN, I can basically wrap you. I can take the edge, my corporate edge, and protect you as if you're behind the corporate firewall now. So I can add the same policies, the same control mechanisms, uh, web content filtering, next-gen firewalling capabilities, all wherever you are. So regardless of your location, I can protect you, remote worker, hybrid worker, uh, the same way as if you were in the office. VPNs can't do that, right? These are the new things on the horizon that it's important to have a discussion to you know the C-suite in terms of I can enable a more flexible workforce and they're going to be more secure. How do you guys do your calls to action? Because there's definitely people right now who are listening. They're going to be at various stages inside of the security maturity model and all of that. But what's typically when you're talking to a, a broad audience of technology leaders, what's the next action that you want them to take? Well, you have to start somewhere. Um, if people pick our technology, that's great. I think ultimately people have a gap somewhere, right? Um, if either it's they don't have good endpoint management or endpoint security or user awareness training or backup, right? But you have to you have a gap somewhere, and we offer solutions for those gaps. But one of the the things that we'd like people to think about is also like think about security in this case, or even IT management, IT in general, like holistically, because I think our approach is completely different because it all it all works together, right? I think we we are the only one with such a broad platform used everywhere in the world. So yeah, I would definitely like the call to action. It is pretty simple, but like we have roughly 40 products that are immensely popular in, in the uh, in the enterprise and MSP space. Definitely check them out. If you have a problem, go to our website, data.com, kaseya.com. Yeah, find the one for the problem you need. Yeah, and I'll add to that, right? I mean, gap analysis definitely is, is part of that. But also people tend to forget about just basic things like refresh cycles, right? Firewalls get old over time. Endpoint security gets old over time. You know, so when those refresh cycles come up or you've got other initiatives coming into play, maybe you want to build out a SOC. Maybe you already have a SOC and want to augment it. I think one of the challenges we have is people don't really know how much data and Kaseya have in terms of security solutions and capabilities there. So to Matei's point, go to our websites, check it out. But when you're going through that product refresh cycle, even things like networking gear, access points, right? These tend to change over time. Wi-Fi you know, 6 is now the, the current standard. Wi-Fi 7 is starting to come out. People are looking at switches, things of that nature to say, okay, maybe it's time I, I look at a, you know an alternative. I would definitely say, you know, put us on that list of whether it's networking, security, other tools. We, we have a ton it is almost kind of scary how much Kaseya and Datto have in in the broad portfolio of things, but it's worth checking out. And I, I would definitely recommend if you're at that point of, again, cyber insurance review, let's look at, you know, what are we doing for security awareness training? What are we doing for EDR? Uh, we have a lot of great tools for those. Yeah, I loved, I loved you saying earlier about using the cybersecurity policies compliance as a way to, to have that conversation. 
It's a, cause you're already paying for it. Right. And it's only going to get covered if you meet these requirements. And so you at least have to make sure you're meeting these requirements so that if you do get an issue that they're going to pay for, I, I think that's a really good starting point for people who are, who are just trying to get up to speed. This is great guys. I think we did it. We made a podcast. How do you feel? Oh, it's great. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.